You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I wanted to do a quick podcast on a realization I had. A, uh, an epiphany of sorts about pit hoops and the net. You know, I found an article from December of last year, 2022, that goes, it's the only one you can really find if you do some Google research that explains how they calculate the net. But the article itself is confusing because in the article, they provide an old graphic from 2018 when they first created the net. The NCAA created the net, replaced the RPI with the net for guidance for its committee in um, determining which teams deserve to be in the tournament at large and how to seed them. No, it is not determinative, the use of the net, but it's guidance and they do look at it. Um, As an aside, I also know if you read in this article and, and do some research, actually what the committee members get is a sheet and on the sheet, uh, the, the number one number that they do reference is net, but also on the sheet are other uh, metrics, including the Ken Palm number, which I am a strong disbeliever in. I think it's extremely inaccurate. And you'll have a lot of people online telling you, well, it's predictive and so is the net. It's not meant to be a power ranking. It's predictive. It's for gambling, basically. You know, who would win by how much in this setting when these two teams play, you know. But I'm saying it's inaccurate. It's in, it's wildly inaccurate, and it has been the Ken Palm, and as is gambling. By the way, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, but be that as it may, the committee gets the Ken Palm. They get the net. They get what's called the KPI, which is another. It's kind of like a different version of the RPI. Um, the KPI is like you know your your opponent's strength of schedule and their their opponent's strength of schedule, but it also considers home and away and point differential. And um, but it so it's a little bit a beefed up RPI. I think it's the most accurate, by the way. I like if you talk about all the ratings that exist today, including the old RPI, which I still reference during the season, that it is still being calculated online. You can find it. it and um, I prefer the KPI to everything that's out there. And I think if you're looking for a power ranking and a, and a calculation that most accurately depicts the strength of one team versus another in terms of just overall quality. I think it's the KPI. And I don't think that the net, and certainly not the Kempom, with their overindulgence in various statistics, and especially efficiency, offensive and defense, is, is indicative of the quality of a team. And I don't think that a given game – uh, or, or performance at home or the road or any of that has long-term uh, impact on whether or not a team is actually that good uh, or bad. And I think that uh, in particular, uh, uh, college games, uh, point differentials, not that significant in college hoops. Uh, college football, okay, it is. Uh, there are certain sports where you can definitely tell who the better team is in a given game by point differential, scoring margin. Um, But I don't think college hoops is one of those sports. I think we see a lot, uh, and again, I've been watching college hoops for 50 years now. We see a lot of, uh, okay, 45. I don't want to overstate it, 45 years. Um, We see a lot of uh, large scoring margins between teams we know are equal. You'll even see upsets. 
Like, for example, last night, Boston College beat Virginia by 15 at home. We all know that Virginia is a better team than Boston College. And we all know that that score is not at all indicative of the quality of those two teams. Yet, the net, and this is what I want to talk about in a minute. Give me a second. I'll get to it. The net, and certainly Ken Palm too, would calculate those numbers in a way that would give way too great a weight to the fact that Boston College, on a fluke, beat one by 15 because they played an extra tough game and Virginia was off on the road there. The quality of that win will be overstated in a calculation of the net or Ken Palm. Where in KPI, it'll just be weighted against, it's equally all road wins, all point differentials. Are, it's just equal. There's not in this calculation, which is schemed up in the net as efficiency. But it's dubious at best, I think. And it's weighted incorrectly and overweighted. And I don't think, in general, you should give much weight at all to point differential in college hoops. Because, like I said, I think you get, uh, for example, Pitt. Great example. Have a lot of close wins. A win is a win. I'm sorry. If you watch college hoops through the years, you'll see a lot of close wins, and they matter. And teams that win close in college hoops are good teams. You don't have to be blowing people out by 10 to 15 or 20 to be a good team in college basketball. If you know, uh, you know, a lot of games come down to the last five minutes. I even have a rule, by the way, where I say, if you're up by five or more with five minutes left and you have the ball, you've got a real leg up on winning. I've been living by this rule for years now, and it works for me. Five-point lead, five minutes left, and the ball. High percentage win, high percentage win. You would absolutely rather have the ball and a five-point lead with five minutes left than the other way around. You know, it's, it's a real tough hill to climb. If you're down by five, there's only five minutes left, and you're playing defense. Anyway, um, I think that the, the point differential in college hoops is, is, is something that you shouldn't put a lot of credence in because uh, – Teams don't generally collapse at the end, and then a, a, a three-point game or a five-point game becomes a you know 12-point loss or something. You have free throws that can cause it to collapse if you're fouling all the time and they keep hitting them and you keep missing. But with the three-point shot, it's easy to grab some points back, especially in desperation at the end of a game. Teams throw them up a lot, and they hit them uh, sometimes at the end, and they can cut into that lead while the other team is just holding the ball, trying to hold on to the lead. So I don't think that it's an accurate depiction of what happened in the game necessarily because strategies change tremendously at the end of a game. And I just think that a win is a win in college basketball. And if you hold on, even if you, even if you lose a lead, like Pitt at, at Syracuse this year was blowing out Syracuse for the entire game by 20 points or so. And then in the last six minutes, seven minutes, they just started to collapse and they had to hold on and one by two, 84 to 82. And uh, if you're, if you're, Making a big deal out of point differential, that's not going to score real good for Pitt. But if they had held on to their big lead, they would score really good. Well, what difference does it make? At the end of the day, Pitt won. They had the big lead. They, they frittered it away, but they won. That's a good win for Pitt on the road against Syracuse. Tough place to play. Um, to make too much out of that, being a two-point win instead of 20, is ridiculous. And if they had held on and won by 20... To make too much out of that would have been ridiculous. The point is they won. They won on the road to Syracuse. They won. So I think a huge inherent flaw 
in the net is it's giving too much credit to point differential. Now, here's what I'm doing the podcast about. You might say, well, why is that the case? Why do you say that they do that? Ray, where are you getting this? We don't even know how the net is calculated, do we? Well, there was an article in December 2022 that actually told us how the net was calculated. And it was nice for a change. Because <laughs> no one else will give it to us. And in 2018, there were five factors used to calculate the net. And this was an article, by the way, with the NCAA uh, telling us, okay, uh, they use team value index, which is game results. The factors are the opponent location, the winner, team value index. It's basically the RPI, okay? Number two was net efficiency, which I'll go into later. Three was winning percentage. Four is adjusted winning percentage. And five was scoring margin, but with the margin capped at 10 points per game. In other words, any win or loss in excess of 10 points they did not factor in and calculate and add anything to the net or take anything away from the net. 10 points, that was it. Well, in 2020, they changed the net. This article also says, but it's very confusing. And they have another graphic that says, here's what the net now considers as of 2020. And they say in the article, by the way, they expect this to be the net for several years going forward before they make any other changes to it. I will note, by the way, that the fact that they had to change the net after only two years shows how flawed it is. And I think it's still extremely flawed. And they just made these, this change to it two years ago. So I think they said we're going to keep this for a number of years going forward. But I think, I think they need to change it again. I think, it's, I think it's extremely flawed. I think we're learning that this year. Pitt is certainly learning it with a net of 53 when you go over the stats of quads three and four losses versus quad one wins, all of which are determined by the net scores. I, I got into it with someone on Twitter that yesterday arguing how wonderful the net is. This guy is probably a gambler. All the people that love these metrics, they live and die by them. They're bending money and they want to believe in them, man. They got to believe in them. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at the things that logically matter, like bad losses and good wins, you're using the net scores to evaluate those because that's the primary purpose of the net. It's, a gui- it's guidance for the committee, but it's also a tool used to create the quadrants because they're directly assessed via net score. Like a quad one win at home, the net score of the team you beat has to be 30 or less. Okay, it's a a quad one win on the road. If their net goes all the way up to 75, you still get a quad one win and so on and so forth. And they break it down for all the quads based on net scores. So if the net scores are faulty, obviously the quads are faulty. So you get all these prognosticators leaning on the quads and relying on, oh, this team has a quad loss, this team has a quad win. Oh, that's terrible, this is bad. And making a big deal out of quads three and four losses when maybe the nets of those teams are so ridiculous that it's an asinine classification of that game as a quad three or four game. It should be at least a two game or, you know, but your your stupid net ranking for that team that's incorrect, obviously, is causing it to be classified as the wrong quadrant. So... 
you can't argue the quad separate from the net. If the net is flawed, the quads are flawed, okay? So that's, that's really where it, 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 you got the tail wagging the dog here. The system is rotted from the inside out because you can't look at the whole point of the net is to create the quads. And then they say, oh, we don't really care about the net. We look at quality wins and losses, which are by quad, for which we use the net to calculate. Uh, okay, so you do look at the net. In fact, there are no quads without the net. In fact, your analysis of the quads is wholly reliant on the net and the accuracy of the net. So if the net is very inaccurate and not very good at reflecting the actual quality of these teams, then these quad ratings suck too. And then it's the blind leading the blind. So don't give me this stuff about the net doesn't matter. What matters then? Psychic powers? <laughs> They're relying on something and they replaced, they were relying on the RPI as a guide, as a guide. They were relying on it. They used it. I used it. We all used it for years and years. They did away with it. They wanted something they thought was more accurate, more reflective of the actual quality of teams. They created this net thing. After only two years, they realized it was shit. And now two years into the new concoction, guess what? It is still shit. But don't tell me they're not using it. They are using it. They are using it to have a, a view of the conferences, okay? Because they say it's a down year for the ACC. Why? Why are they saying that? I'll tell you why. Net ratings, the average net of the conference. The ACC is seventh in the average net rating. Okay, it's over 100, the average net in the ACC. That's why, oh, see, that's a down year. Again, you're using a very flawed ranking system to tell us that the ACC is down. Okay, and, and, and by the way, what, what this article on the net never says and what no one can tell me is, do they start from a zero basis when they start calculating the net or do they start for some basis based upon some based upon just sort of watching the pre-conference games and which conference did better in them and then they rank them and then they start the calculations. We, we they don't come out with the first net till December 4th, okay? What happened in November and what when they when they reveal the net to us for the first time? What were what was the basis point-wise of each team? Did they just calculate it against each other from a zero starting point, everybody, and go from there? How does that work? They don't tell us. We don't know. Uh, all we know is Pitt started from the first net on, November, on December 4th at 80. Terrible. 80. Why? They had already won at Northwestern by 29 points. They had already won at North Carolina State by, what was it, 8 or 9 points or 7 points. Yes, they had already lost by many points to West Virginia, Michigan. We get it. We get it. We get it. We know. We know those horrible losses. We understand. But the point is they also had a couple of really good wins in there. But at the time, Northwestern wasn't all that. At the time, North Carolina State wasn't all that. North Carolina State was like had three wins last year. They were a terrible team in the ACC last year. And, and Northwestern, you know, was generally not very good in the Big Ten. It wasn't. Pitt was playing them because we were ranked like shit and they were ranked like shit. We were both supposed to be bad teams. So those two very, very good wins ended up being very good. They didn't help us much at the time. They didn't help us much at the time, but I guarantee you the West Virginia-Michigan losses hurt us a lot. So we start out at 80. Did we ever earn back credit? 
They say, oh, it's all evened out. Really? Is it? Because as it turns out, those are two great wins. North Carolina State has never lost at home again. That is their only loss of the season at home is to Pitt. And Northwestern, their net's in the 30s now. Their net's in the 30s. We're hanging back here at 53, Pitt. And we beat them by 29 on their home court. Are you sure, Net, we're getting credit for that the way we deserve? When you put us in the net at 80, that's it? That's the credit we got for that? And it's not going to improve as they continue to improve? Our score on that win isn't going to – maybe maybe the numbers will balance it out. But my point is they don't tell us from what basis they start and how they get to the point when they first reveal it with those calculations. Do they step up any basis, any bias – based on conference, based on preseason expectation as to how they calculate those numbers. Nobody says yes. Nobody says no. Nobody's talking. But what they do tell us in this article is that in 2020, they eliminated winning percentage, adjusting winning percentage, and scoring margin. Okay, that sounds great, doesn't it? This 10% cap on, on scoring margin, they did away with it in 2020. They said, we're not using that anymore. Okay, good. So then how come, right, when I'm watching these games with the new net, it's only two factors according to what they told us in this article. The new net now only considers team value index and net efficiency. Two factors. That's it. Well, how come when I see a team win big, it makes a big difference in their net change? When I see a team lose big, it makes a big – in fact, the margin – makes a bigger difference in the net change than winning or losing. Case case in point, Pitt beats uh, Georgia Tech the other night. Eight-point win, solid win. I mean, if you watch the game, they struggled their ass off. Again, that's why point differential doesn't matter as much as we think in college basketball. The truth is that was a very close win. But if you didn't know any better and you looked, eight-point win, Pitt pretty much handled them. Should have won a little bigger, but not bad. Well, not really. They struggled their ass off, and they were lucky to get out of there with a win. They did what they had to do at the end. They were the better team, and they proved it, yes. But, again, point differential is misleading, as usual, in college hoops. But they dropped three in the net. They won a game. Granted, it was a quad four game. Okay, according to the net, with Georgia Tech's net rating, that was a quad four game. That was a must win. You lose that, it's a terrible blemish on Pitt's record. But they won it. And yet, even though they won it, they went from 50 in the net to 53. Now, part of that is other people jumping up above them and bumping them down. But bottom line is, if your tool drops you when you win, that tool sucks, okay? That's just reality. Let's wake up, okay? So what I'm saying is, you see things like that, right? And then you see Clemson last night, okay? Now, Clemson is playing at home. Their net going into that game last night, was 82. They're playing Syracuse, whose net in that game was somewhere around 90. Uh, today it stands at 96 after losing. But that's a home game for Clemson, right? So not a – you know, that's, they're supposed to win at home. They're playing a team with a lower net than them. They're 82. Syracuse was in the 90s. They beat them by – I think it was 18. I think it ended up being 18. They were up by 13 and a half. They got up to 26. They were really creaming them. Ended up winning by 18. Their net, Syracuse, net at 96, you know, doesn't really change much. Clemson's net goes from 82 
to 75. Seven-point jump in their net from winning what was a quad two win, maybe a quad three. I'd have to go look, but not a big win. And I'm like, why? Why would it go up that high? Seven whole points they jumped in the net. The reason is because they won by 18. But, but Ray, I thought the net got rid of scoring margin. They had only capped it at 10. I thought they got rid of it. Ah, well, that's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. And I want to tell you why you're wrong. I want to tell you why scoring margin still matters like crazy. In fact, it ain't capped at 10 points at all. And it's still a big part of the net. Why? Well, let's look at the numbers. But first, as an aside, let me just, while I'm on Clemson and that win last night, here's the absurdity of the net again. You want to talk about is the net flawed. Clemson, why was their net 82? You look at their record, they don't have a lot of impressive wins, but they're really taking hits on, on their rating. Uh, I watched, you watched that game. We all see Clemson. Guess what Clemson is? They're a good team. They had something like 26 assists last night, okay? They shot 52%. They made 14 three-pointers last night. Now, when they beat Pitt by one, 75-74, I believe the score was, at the Pete, they had a similar game. They were on fire. They were a very they can be an elite and very good offensive squad. And they had a good game against Pitt. Pitt had a good game. It was a great game. Now, here's the thing that's hysterical. That was two teams playing for first place in the ACC. Okay. They were going head to head in a battle for first place. It was such a marquee game because of that. ESPN picked it up. It wasn't supposed to be on ESPN. It might have been ESPN U that picked it up, but the point is, it wasn't. It was just going to be on ACC Network. Well, they switched and they they put it on ESPN because it was a big matchup, two teams fighting for first place in a prominent conference. Well, yeah, Pitt lost it, and guess what happened? Guess what happened? Because Pitt lost it for some reason. As of yesterday, that was a quad three loss for Pitt. A game between two teams, two good teams, two quality teams battling it out for first place in the ACC. Pitt loses it by one point. And it's a horrible, pathetic loss. I heard people on the radio, Ron Cook and, and, and Joe Starkey, just talking the other day. And they didn't know who the quad three loss was. And Ron Cook said things like, ah, was that the Vanderbilt loss maybe? That quad? No, that's a quad two loss, believe it or not. It was a road loss. And their their uh, RPI is, uh, is, is, was in, is in the range where the road loss makes that a quad two loss, actually. But <laughs> they're like, what? They're trying to think, what bad team has to be a bad loss? <laughs> they, they couldn't figure it out. The reason they couldn't figure it out is it's stupid. It's insane. It's dumb. It's ridiculous. It's flawed. It's fatally flawed. That game, whoever won it or lost it, absolutely doesn't deserve a quad three for that. And whoever's rating the net scores for those two teams is fucking up. And guess who is? This calculation, this flawed calculation, this inaccurate calculation is causing net rankings to be off to the point where that loss by Pitt to Clemson at home by one point looks like a terrible blemish on their record. Well, anyway, after last night, it no longer is there. 
Clemson won, jumped, catapulted seven from a win over Syracuse? Why seven? Because the points. And they went up all the way to 75, which is the cutoff point for quad two losses at home. So right now we have no, Pitt has no quad three losses. They're back to zero quad three losses. Clemson is back to a quad two uh, loss. We got to pray they hold on to it. They got a couple really tough road games ahead of them at Virginia and at, uh, who is the other team they're playing? North Carolina State. North Carolina State doesn't lose at home. So the good news is even if they lose those games, Clemson, it shouldn't really, if they lose them close, (laughs) if the point differentials within a range that's close, that probably won't affect their, their net at all because the net loves a loss. The net loves a good loss. They just don't love a good win unless you kill the other team. So uh, we, we got to hope that Clemson holds into the set, holds on to the 75 or less net range so that when the season ends, we don't have any quad three losses or quad four losses. That's what you want to hope is Pitt. Because I don't care what people tell you about the net not mattering. That committee's going to look at those quad wins and losses. And as long as we sit on just the one quad four home loss to Florida State, that's better. That's good. And, it, I mean, it's not good. But, I mean, if that's it, you know, zero quad three losses and that one loss, that's a lot better for Pitt. So we want that to stay the case, which means we want Clemson to maintain a net of 75 or better for the rest of the year. So in a little way, we got to be rooting for them. And it's ridiculous, but that's life. It shouldn't even be close. Their, their, their KPI is 63, Clemson, okay? Uh they shouldn't be close to 75. They should be safely within the range where that was a quad two loss. And the season should end with that as a quad two loss. But unfortunately, because of the net, it isn't. Now, here's my point about the point total. Why did Clemson jump up so much from a win over Syracuse, who has a worse net than them, at home, a home win? Because they won by 18. Well, why does that still matter? Didn't they do away with point differential? Yes, but it's the calculation for net efficiency. If you actually do what they call the hot shots online, take a, nobody takes a deep dive. Nobody's bothering to take a deep dive. Okay, guess what? I'm a Carnegie Mellon grab, motherfucker. I don't have a problem looking at things that are challenging and difficult. I looked at it. I'm telling you, it's a dumb calculation that's not relevant. Why? I just explained to you that it's my opinion. It's just an opinion. By the way, these calculations are just opinions too. Don't let them fool you. It's math that comes out with a number that's really just an opinion. Okay? It's not a fact. It's whatever you throw into the calculation can lead you down one path or another. Whatever you're using as a calculation will, will affect the results. And that result then is your opinion. Why? Because you're the one who chose what went into the calculation and what didn't. Your opinion as to what should be included in the calculation or what shouldn't created that end result. So don't tell me a net calculation is some objective mathematical certainty. It's your opinion because you, Ken Pomeroy, or you, NCAA, decided what to include in a calculation that would be predictive. But guess what? It's also a power ranking. This is predictive shit is bullshit, too. Yes, I understand Ken Pomeroy is doing it for gamblers, and the net is predictive of what should be expected. But it's, it's yeah, because of the better team. Yeah, because here's how they win and where they win and how they do it. Predictive and also the best. The, the lower number means in all situations, you're more likely to predict as the winner. 
<laughs> so it's you're the best. Shut up with this predictive lie. It's the same thing. It's a ranking system. Blow it out your ass. It's a ranking system. Okay. So they say it's not opinion, it's math, but they're making decisions as to what to include and what not to include. Guess what that's called? That's an opinion. So they have they were of the opinion, for example, when they created the net in 2018, that there should be five factors. They changed their opinion in 2020 and decided there should only be two factors. I'm of the opinion currently that one of those factors is horseshit. And what is that factor? It is net efficiency. Why? It counts way too many stats for a team that, has, that is not substantially reflective of that team overall in terms of how they win games and if they're a quality team. What net efficiency is, it takes offensive efficiency and it takes defensive efficiency. It subtracts a team's defensive efficiency from its offensive efficiency and it gets a score. Put aside for a second the fact that we don't know because the net hasn't told us what weight is given to the final net efficiency of offensive efficiency minus defensive efficiency of a given team. How much weight is that given in the calculated total number of the net? We don't know. They didn't tell us. They tell us there's only two factors. Now, that and the team value index, which is basically a power ranking, RPI strength, the schedule ranking. That also includes the location, the location of the event, though, home or away, and it values it. But, but are, they, are they split 50-50? Is the team value index half the net score and the net efficiency the other half? Or do they weight it differently? Do they weight it differently? RPI, they told us how they did it, okay? They told us how they did it. 25% was a team's strength of schedule. 50% was the opponent's strength of schedule. And 25% was the opponent's opponent's strength of schedule. That's how the RPI was and still is calculated, even though they don't use it technically anymore. They told us exactly how much of the final score is attributed to what factor. The net, they don't tell us. First, they say there's five factors. Now they say there's two. But they don't tell us how they're, how they're dividing those two factors up. But within the net efficiency factor, there are way too many factors, okay? That's the other thing. People believe in net efficiency. People believe in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. I understand mathematically it's a fun stat. I understand there's a reason to find it interesting. I don't think it's accurate to say which team is best. I don't think it has any basis in, in, in honestly uh, depicting the better team because I think that a lot of times you can be a, a, a team that takes a lot of threes, for example, like Pitt. As a result, you're going to have a lot of shots and a lot of missed shots, a lot more than other teams that are more an inside game team. So that's going to necessarily degrade Pitt's offensive efficiency number because you're going to have more shots they're throwing up, right? But if they're getting offensive rebounds and they're taking a lot of shots, those numbers are going to be high. The end result, though, is going to be less made shots and potentially the same amount of points as if you took fewer shots but scored inside. And you know, and played a good, tough inside game. That is, just because you shoot threes doesn't mean you're, you're a higher-scoring team. You understand? So you could have two teams that both average 72 points a game, for example. One of them takes a bunch of threes to get there. They're going to miss more of them. 
the other team to get to their 72, they take fewer shots because they're underneath game. Well, the underneath scoring team has a higher offensive efficiency by these calculations. But are they a better team? No. It's two different ways to skin a cat. The one team is a three-point shooting team. They get to 72 points. You do it your way. You get to 72. You say tomato. I say fuck the net. I mean, come on. It's bullshit. Okay, so that's number one. But here's the real hidden secret flaw of this net efficiency calculation. Here's how it's done. I'm just going to tell you the one side. Understand that offensive efficiency, defensive is just the reverse. For example, offensive efficiency, you look at your field goal attempts as one of the factors. Defensive, you look at the opponent's field goal attempts, okay? So just imagine the other half of the equation that you're subtracting away from offensive efficiency is the other side. Okay, but here are the factors. Here's how you, here's how you calculate offensive efficiency. Field goal attempts minus offensive rebounds. So you're taking away from the overall attempts every time you get a shot, uh, every time you get a rebound, because you're saying, well, that's not fair. You're getting another shot, so we're taking that away and downgrading your actual attempts by the rebounds. But then you're adding to it the turnovers. So basically, you're evening it out. You're saying you got a rebound, but you turned it over. So those two are kind of canceling each other. Then you're taking .475 times free throw attempts. Now, that might be confusing at first. It's less than half. You're taking 47.5% is what you're doing of a free throw attempt. But think about it this way. A shot nets you two points. A free throw, one. So you're basically giving credit at half for a free throw because you're getting scored at half for what you get for a free throw than you do for a shot. But they're making it less at 475. They're not making it a full 50% half. They're making it less than half, 47.5%. Why? perhaps to downgrade the significance of a free throw in in comparison to a shot, or perhaps to recognize the fact that shots can also be three-pointers, where a free throw is only one. Uh, But they didn't make it a third. They didn't make it 33% for a free throw, which would be fully recognizing three-point shots. Anyway, you can see how this is confusing, right? But it's not that confusing, but it's a calculation. But you, you really wonder, what's the basis for this? Who decided that field goal attempts minus offensive rebounds plus turnovers plus 47.5% five uh, times free throw attempts, that equals total number of possessions. Okay, so you have to take their word for it, but somehow that means that's how many times you possess the ball. I don't think that's a fair uh, calculation to say that for sure, but whatever. We'll just believe them. Then what is offensive efficiency? It's your total points scored in the game or in the season, but in the game, if you're doing it per a game, divided by the total number of possessions. And that, will, that equals the offensive efficiency score for that game. So you take all these things, field goal attempts, offensive rebounds, turnovers, free throw attempts, that's your number of possessions. You divide that into how much you scored and that'll give you your number. You do the reverse for defensive, and that gives you that number. You subtract the defensive from the offensive. That's your net efficiency for that game. Guess what? Guess what? Use your brain here, right? Total points. The higher that number is, then when you divide the possessions into it, 
what's that number going to be? The end result, higher. Just let's say you had 10 possessions and you scored 30 points, right? You divide 10 into 30. You get three as your net efficiency, right? Now let's say you score 40 points on those 10 possessions. You know, you still have 10 possessions. You divide 10 into 40. Your net efficiency is four. So the more you score on the fewer possessions, the higher it goes up. Or let's say you get more possessions, but you score more. Let's say you get 10, you get 40 points, but you you got 15 possessions. That number is still going to be higher than the 30 points and the 10 and on and on. So the bottom line is this. The more you score, the better and higher your offensive efficiency score will be. And conversely, the calculation for defensive efficiency is your opponent's total points divided by their total number of possessions. So what does that mean? That means the less that your opponent scores, the lower will be your defensive efficiency number. So your net efficiency will be higher. And so this number that is at some percentage that we're not told what it is, is affecting your net score, will be better, will be higher, will help your net more if you do what? Score more and give up less. And guess what? It's not capped. This calculation doesn't cap at 10 points. This calculation doesn't say your total points, although if this number is uh, higher than 50, or you know, there's no cap on this. <laughs> it's your total points divided by your total possessions. And defensively, it's their total points divided by their total possessions. So obviously, logically, commonsensically, mathematically, any way, Lee, you want to talk about it, Lee, <laughs> you're going to have a higher net efficiency if you have a higher point differential in a game. And so what? Well, your net's going to go up more if you blow someone out. And if you get blown out, your net's going to, be affected poorly because you're going to have a negative number on your defensive efficiency. I mean, on your net efficiency. When you subtract defensive efficiency from offensive efficiency in a game you lose and, in fact, are blown out in, you're going to have a heavy negative number. It's going to cause your net number total to go down. So what I'm saying to you is not only, as I said, do I believe the point differential should really not be much of a factor at all in analyzing college hoops. But in the net, it's, it's very big. It's a big part of it. Why? Because they're telling us there's only two factors of the net. And one of them, net efficiency, is very, very much affected by port differential in a game. So, and that's one of the only two factors that they're even using to calculate net. So you want to know why Pitt's net is so bad. Is it really because of that horrible, horrible loss to Florida State? No, because they opened up at 80 in the net. Did you know that Pitt is the lowest they've been is only 86? That Florida State loss happened long after they started doing the net. Long, In fact, what happened, Pitt was sitting at 50. Pitt was sitting at 50. They lost that game to Florida State by whatever it was, seven points at home. They plummeted to 65. They dropped 15 points in their net by losing that game. 
But I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you, it wasn't just that it was a quad four loss. It was they didn't lose it by one point or two points. They dared to lose it by multiple possessions. The point total mattered. And it mattered enough to plummet them 15 points. And so, my dear friends, a big part of the reason Pitt's net is ridiculously out of whack with the reality of the quality of this team at a low 53. It's because of their scoring margin. It's because they lost those two games to Michigan and West Virginia by obscene amounts. Although that should partially be offset by the blowout win at uh, Northwestern. But mainly, the main reason they're hanging down way lower than their results dictate is too many close wins. Too many close wins. When you analyze how the net is calculated, you see that scoring margin and winning big or losing big has way, way, way too much of an effect on the, on the final net total. We see that it is one of two factors. And in that one factor, net efficiency, it is very important to your net efficiency, how many points you give up and how many points you score. It's crucial to your net efficiency. So therefore, it's crucial to your net because it's one of only two factors. And Pitt has won too many close games. So the net doesn't like them. The net doesn't like Pitt because they beat North Carolina on the road by one. They beat uh, Virginia by two. They beat, you know, they're winning these games. Great wins, exciting wins, impressive wins. But unfortunately, sadly, too close, (laughs) too close. So um, I think that that right there tells you it's a flawed system. And again, people swear by uh, offensive efficiency, efficiency, defensive efficiency. They swear by these numbers. They swear by these calculations. They think it's really relevant. Obviously, the net people did. They left it in there as one of two factors they still consider relevant. Um, I believe to the extent that offensive and defensive efficiency must, and it surely must, consider points, right? It has to. I mean, how can you talk about how efficient a team is in scoring if you don't consider their scoring, right? And you can't. You can't really think about how good they are on defense without considering how many points they're giving up. Well, when you're making that a huge part of the net calculation, uh, you're giving way, way too much uh, importance to point differential. And again, we see this. When we, when we turn to the net every morning after night's results, we see reflected in the change in the net numbers that the score mattered too much. Too much. And that is not reality because especially, especially in college basketball, to my, to my mind, as a fan who's watched it all these years, 45 years, score point differential is, is, less, is less significant to my mind. The only sport I would say it's, is even less significant is baseball. Okay? A win in baseball. The worst teams in baseball lose a lot of one-run games. And they're terrible teams. And they lose 100 games or 90 games. And it doesn't mean crap in baseball that you can hang in a game and lose it by one run. You're a bad team if you lose those games. Because point differential, run differential in baseball, it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, it's not really reflective of whether or not you're a good team. Sure, sure, the great teams, they end up having a big run differential. Certainly in college hoops, the teams that stomp on a lot of people are really good teams. Sure, there's, there's some truth to that. And sure, if you're getting blown out all the time, you're probably a bad team. So, yes, the outliers, the extreme examples of teams like that 
those things are going to match up. You're going to see the top of the net pretty much aligns with the best teams. That's true. Every year you're going to see the top four or five teams probably pretty close to the truth in the net because scoring margin, because those teams are good enough where they are winning big. You're going to see the bottom dwellers pretty much lining up with truth in the net because those teams are really bad, which means they're losing a lot of games by a lot of points. But then you get to teams like Pitt and teams in the middle and teams around that should be ranked, let's say, from 20 to 50, 20 to 60, somewhere in that range. And it's going to be wildly inconsistent all over the map. Horrible. People want to ask, why is North Carolina still sitting at 48 in the net when Pitt is 53? Carolina has zero wins in quad one and, and nine losses now, nine quad one losses. Pitt, five and three in quad one. Pitt has one quad four loss. Pitt has a better record. Pitt beat him twice, but of course that head-to-head is not a calculation in the net. But they beat him twice. Why are they ahead of us? I'll tell you why. Because the net stinks. And the reason why is North Carolina has a better scoring margin and their fewer wins. North Carolina has beaten other teams greater than we have. It's not just strength to schedule. I'm sorry. People try to say Pitt's bad. Uh, in their pre-conference schedule. That's not true. Did I say this already? <laughs> if I did, I apologize. The KPI of Pitt's pre-conference teams are all uh, a better than 50, or f- a better than 55. Michigan is at 55 right now. Oh, I take that bad. I'm wrong. I'm wrong because the – no, I'm not wrong. KPI of VCU is 44. KPI of Vanderbilt, I think, may be in the 60s. Yeah. But here's the thing. All of Pitt's losses are 63 or better. That's where I'm really getting at. All of the losses in KPI. Clemson KPI right now is 63, except for Florida State. The only bad loss, according to KPI, is Florida State. Every other team, including Vanderbilt, has a KPI of 63 or better. In other words, they're not bad losses. They're one of the best 50, 63 teams in the country. That's who Pitt has lost to, seven of its eight losses other than Florida State, according to the KPI, if you believe that ranking and that method of ranking. If you agree with the net, then you have things like Oral Roberts and uh, Liberty ranked significantly higher. You have teams that have fewer quad one wins than Pitt and more quad three and four losses than Pitt and a worse record, and they're like 30 points higher than Pitt in the net. It's a reality. Go look it up. You have this strange, I think it's Auburn or or Arkansas, I forget which, uh, that's significantly worse in every respect, yet they're 32nd or 22nd in that. Again, I don't have it in front of me right now, so I'm sorry. I'll I'll stop this podcast now. I don't want to start rambling out without the specific details, but I'm telling you this is reality. The net is out of whack, and there are so many examples of it that it's a joke. North Carolina is just the easy one, and I'm telling you the reason why. It isn't pre-conference, post-conference, all that crap they're telling you. It isn't poor Pitt. They just didn't win. They were. Now, granted, Pitt was 1-4 in in their pre-conference games against other conference good teams. You know, they only won at Northwestern. They lost to uh, VCU and Michigan on neutral court, and they lost at home to West Virginia, and they lost at Vanderbilt. So they didn't do great in that uh, that arena. But – it's, it's margin of victory that's hurting Pitt more than anything else. The real reason Pitt's net is 
poor and isn't as good as it should be is their margin of victory isn't good enough to be helping them out. Had they stomped on more teams, had they won big, and had especially if they won against one of these good teams by a big margin, it would have made a bigger difference. Their net efficiency isn't good enough. Pitt as a team, if you look at that calculation, uh, I haven't looked at the updated numbers, so I'm going to generalize, but their offensive efficiency is somewhere in the 60s nationally, and their defensive efficiency was somewhere over 100. I did see him about two weeks ago. It was somewhere in that range. Their defensive efficiency is is over 100, and their offensive efficiency is somewhere in the 60s. They're not super-duper great in those calculated areas. So their net efficiency in each game isn't the greatest in the world. Uh, and again, I explained part of that uh, with when you're a three-point shooting team and uh, when you do uh, make some turnovers like Pitt does. Right, you're going to have some efficiency challenges, uh, and when you give up points the way Pitt does sometimes, just by not being the greatest defensive team in the world, that's going to hurt your net efficiency. Um, but does that really say whether or not you can do the right thing at the key moment of a game and win it? And the answer is no. If you want to look at wins and losses, Pitt should be ranked right now. They would have a net of 25 or greater just by wins and losses. When you look at the quality of the opponents and the number of wins with those quality. But no, we're using the net to assess the quality. The net's looking at point differential. And again, what's the basis starting at? Is it zero? Before they reveal it to us, did everybody start at zero and then they just started calculating? Or did they rank the teams by some factor and then begin calculating the net? I don't know. They don't tell us. Bottom line is this. Then that ain't any good. And Pitt is just example A in the dictionary under why is the net pure shit. The first example you'll find is Pitt this year. You know, clinging to a 10th seed or a 9th seed because of their net, because of their quad uh, four loss. <laughs> um when really, and because the ACC is down, why is it down? Well, the net, the net, average net puts them seventh or a weak conference. It's like, do you know anything about average? The, the ACC has too many teams in it. And unfortunately, the bottom of the ACC, their teams really are bad this year. And they're so bad, they're hurting the average net. So the ACC, the top teams, are every bit as good as any conference. And yes, I mean the Big 12, because I want to know about talent evaluation. Nobody's doing that. They're looking at these numbers that are very, very reliant on scoring differential. What does that tell you about the talent? I want to talk about the talent. Tell me someone who's telling me about the players on these teams. Who are the good players? Who, where is the talent? That's what really determines who the best teams are. And I believe there's a lot of talent on the top teams in this country. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of talent on this pit team. And people need to wake up. Don't worry about the ACC. And the, there's talent on Clemson. You know, everybody's dismissing them. There's talent on North Carolina State. Everybody's dismissing them. There's talent on Miami. Everybody's dismissing them. I mean, Beheim can say they bought a, a, they, we bought teams. But what does he mean? He means we bought talent.
<laughs> so even if we bought it, he's wrong. But even if we did nil out our asses and get this team, we got talent with that money, hopefully, right? The reason we're winning, what Bayheim's really saying is they paid for talent. These are talented teams. So you can, you can talk about scoring differential secretly and conference win and losses between the conferences and that crap. And you can make up all these reasons to justify your lame net calculation that stinks all you want. You can justify your Ken Palm because you're running off to gamble again and you've got to believe in something and your rosary ain't working anymore. So please, Ken Pomeroy, please get a word into God's ear. Please let these calculations hold true. I need this money. You can do that all you want. But at the end of the day, what I want to talk about is talent. And I'm telling you, I watch basketball. The ACC is as talented a conference as any. And Pitt is a talented team. And to me, to my mind, they're top 20, 25 right now in the country. Their, their talent level and their ability to compete should have them as a four seed or a five seed or four. I'm going to go four. That's where they belong in the top 16 to 20, four or five, but I want to go four. And will they, if, if they win out and win the tournament, I bet you they're not even a four seed. I bet you they're so down on the ACC because of the dumbass, terrible net that Pitt could win its last three games, which would include a win over a highly rated Miami team. And they could win three in the ACC tournament, including wins potentially over Virginia, maybe Miami again, or maybe North Carolina State or something. And it won't help their net enough. Their net will still be 35, 37, something like that. And then they'll, they'll give them a six seed. They'll give them a seven seed, you know, because, I mean, that's what, it, that's what you get for a, a winning a terrible conference, right? That's what you get for a net of 35. You get a seven seed. You know, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. And unfortunately, um, we're stuck with this joke until they revise the net again. But I guarantee you, folks, they're going to be revising it again because we're not alone. If you're a Pitt fan, this suffering you're experiencing, this ridiculousness, this joke of a net, we're not alone. There are many teams throughout the country that are clenching their fists in anger, rightfully so, about this terrible calculation. So don't let any big mouth uh, uh, metrics geek shout you down. They're just, they're just full of it. And for whatever reason, they want to believe in their, in their numerics. But the reality is every numeric is an opinion and it's created by people who believe that one stat or another is significant enough to include in it. And I disagree with the net efficiency as being a significant numeric to the, to the effect that it's having the effect on the net. You want to include it in a net calculation? Okay. Give it 10%. Give it 15% weight. That's all. Give it a very little bit of weight. And the rest of it can be the team value index. Or better yet, just use a KPI. Just use KPI. I think from what I'm seeing, KPI is reality. I, I, I feel like it, they're, all, they're all flawed. They're all flawed. But the question is, what do you put in the sauce? How much do you add of this spice? How much do you take out? And all of that is opinions. And the kid whose name escapes me, KP, it's not Ken Pomeroy, but it's another, the guy that created the KPI, uh, I'm going to make it up, is Kevin Pitstockle. I don't know. It's something like that. That guy, I like what he did. I like what he did, and I think that that works as a good ranking system. And I hope that the, M, I hope that the NCAA scraps the net altogether and goes with the KPI as the primary uh, measuring tool. 
And I know a lot of people are going to hit the roof on that because they believe in all this other crap. But I think the KPI is probably the most accurate. And I think we, we want to eliminate this net efficiency as being an important factor in ranking teams. I don't think it's fair. And I don't think point differential should have that degree of significance. All righty. I love you. Yabba da boop